Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for another Tuesday morning episode. Today, I have an interview with author Rachel Housel Hall, and we discuss her latest novel, which is called We Lie Here. Um, Rachel was a lot of fun to interview, so I hope that you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed participating in it. Um, in July when we actually recorded it. So we're going to get started with the interview and then I'll be back to chat with you about this week's new book releases. But before any of that, you know the drill. We have to hear the housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am here with author Rachel Housel-Hall, And we are discussing her latest novel, We Lie Here, which is scheduled to release here in the U.S. on July 12th. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for joining me. I'm glad I'm getting to discuss this with you, Shannon. So happy to be here. Thank you. So can we start with a brief introduction to We Lie Here so that listeners have a bit of an idea what to expect? Certainly, sure, yes. Um, and we like here, our heroine Yara, who is a television writer, uh, returns home to Palmdale. Um, Palmdale is a suburb, well, it's like 70 miles outside of Los Angeles in the Mojave Desert. And, you know, she lives in Los Angeles now, but she returns home to plan and throw her parents' uh, 20th wedding anniversary party. And uh, she meets up uh, in a hotel parking lot with her like distant cousin, just accidentally. The woman sees her and um, has been looking for her. And she has a message for Zara um, saying she needs to tell Yara some very, very important information about who Yara actually is. But before Yara can figure that out, um, her cousin Felicia is found dead floating in Lake Palmdale, not too far away. So the story is about um, Yara's discovery, as well as uh, Yara trying to figure out, you know, who she is, who her family is. Um, why is the, this desert town trying to kill her? She's asthmatic and is having a hard time literally breathing. 
but um, dealing with some family origin stories, you know, um, like a lot of us, so many of us, maybe all of us are dealing with now, like who are we and how did we become the people that we are? So that's yes. we like here I in that nutshell. Yeah. I think family relationships, like whether or not, you know, you know, and I'm guessing no one really knows all of the the secrets and mm-hmm. stories that your family has right. shared. Yeah. But whether you, you do or you don't, I think the ways in which people relate to one another in a family group yeah. change and evolve over time. And I think there's just so much to kind of delve into when you're looking at those relationships. Yeah, exactly. And even though, you know, Yara's relocated only 70 miles away, um, her coming home story is not too different from, you know, people who come from the Midwest and find themselves living in, you know, Los Angeles or New York. You've changed in some ways. Um, sure. So how's your family? And that kind of uh, re- reunion is always rife with tension and, and lots of lots of room for fiction. <laughs> yes, I think family and friendship are like the two, uh-huh. I think, most kind of fraught relationships that you can uh-huh. see in fiction. Like, yeah. you know, you read romance and you kind of know like where things are headed, even if you don't know exactly how they're going to get there. Right. But. When you're talking about like family stories or some of these stories of like, you know, toxic friendships or even just friendships that evolve over time, you really have no idea. Right. And you don't. Where they can go. Right. And especially with a crime novel where, you know, I've said this before, but I, I, I do write crime, but I also categorize crime as something that may not necessarily be um, illegal, but it is certainly hurtful like a crime against my senses, a crime against um, uh, how you treat me, how you talk to me. You know, you can't be arrested for someone being, you know, uh, just a jerk to you, but it certainly is hurtful and diminishes you. So, yeah, that's how I categorize crime. And this story certainly fits in that in that sensibility where we, especially family members, commit little acts of bad against each other, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they can be, you know, some of them are, are small and almost unnoticeable at times. And uh-huh. some are, you know, pretty like out there in your face. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why when we see movies that um, are based around a funeral or a wedding or coming home for the holidays, we watch them because we all have sometimes that, that weird family dynamic where, oh my God, what is uncle Frank going to say now that he's had three (laughs) beers and, you know, we're going to get into the same argument with my mom over this thing and uh, canned cranberries versus fresh cranberries. And it becomes a thing. Exactly. But there's some family (laughs) who like dig the fresh cranberries and there have been fights. I know there have been fights (laughs) over the cran versus fresh. And I find that fascinating because You know, we all do stuff like that. We are all subject to little things like that. Sorry for for that. I have Do Not Disturb on, and I don't know why it's going off. Computers Um, are just like extra chatty sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, they are. Yes, they are. So, yeah. But, and I, so I love this story for, 
for that, this young woman, you know, who is, like I said, a television writer who puts words in other people's mouths and has this kind of God control over the characters coming yes. home, characters that she can't control. So, yeah, it's it, it was really fun writing, writing Leela here. So how is it for you? You know, I find it interesting, like you're writing about a writer. Um, and I'm just curious to know, like that kind of idea, you know, that you are in full control over your characters. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how was that to kind of put that on the page right. as sort of the profession of your main character? It was fun. And it, and it made me deeply introspective because I, I tend to do that. Um, I, like a lot of writers, we tend to want control over situations and we do it on the page all the time. And many times uh, we can usually predict what's going to happen because our job is figuring out people's motivations, what the plot twist will be. I mean, remember when the pandemic started, when COVID-19 finally like made it big? They turn, oh, yeah. they turn to the writers to figure out, you know, you wrote about sure. contagion and outbreak. What could possibly mm-hmm. happen? And because that's, we've thought about these things. And so for me, looking at a young woman who wants to control the chaos in a way, I, I really felt for Yara because it, it you can't control it all, even even if you try, even if you're smart enough to figure it out, there's just so many, there's just so many machinations you can come up with and people are uncontrollable and they say wild, wild things. And, oh, yeah. and sometimes what we write, the story just isn't wild enough. I mean, I've, this story that um, we like here is certainly, you know, something, you know, family secrets and we all have that. I have those. But also it was inspired by a true crime story that I just kind of happened upon that was completely wild. And if I went all the way with what this story did, it'd be like, this is impossible. No one would do this. This is just takes too much work. Why would, you know, but that's what life is. And as a writer, sometimes we go far, but sometimes we don't go far enough. And I wanted to feature someone who's used to going far because, you know, TV writing, especially a crime series that she's writing, sure. it goes, it, it goes pretty far, but you have no idea just how much crazy is actually happening. And for Yara to, to, to be faced with that more crazy than what I write on the page, you know, she, she has to reckon with that herself, how, how she's going to, what is her own story? What kind of character is she in her own story? And that was fun trying to figure that out for her. I find true crime like fascinating for kind of that, that very reason, like what, what prompts people to do these things and to like take so much time and energy to sort of like, I mean, sometimes people don't plan it out, but sometimes people do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like how like what if you, you know, took that energy and like put it into something <laughs> else? Yeah. Um, you know, and and didn't like kill your family or right. You know, whatever other like and bizarre as, things people decide to do. Yeah, and as crime writers, we are supposed to actually, you know, put that person 
they, everybody thinks they're a hero in their story. And that person could easily say, well, Susan, she slighted me. She slept with my husband or she looked at me where there's always a rationale. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and our job is to figure out, well, what is that rationale? And why why would they put so much effort into being so bad? It's because they right. don't see themselves as bad. They see themselves as getting the justice that they need and deserve in order to, to move forward. And it's scary. Um, and that's why I was saying earlier that, you know, sometimes crime isn't one that's illegal, but, you know, because there's someone cutting you off on the freeway right. or the highway can spiral into a whole bunch of things. You know, something that you don't think you did wrong to someone, someone sees that as egregious and they must somehow road rage you back. You know, it, it oh, road rage. Yeah, it's 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 weird how we how we treat each other, and that's one reason I write it. I write crime. It's I'm fascinated by that question. Why do we do the things that we do to each other, and do we even realize sometimes what it is that we're doing? You know, mm-hmm. we we may not even know. So, how many crime novels have you written now? I believe this would be number 11, I want to say. Ooh. Yeah, I've been busy. <laughs> yes, yes, you have. Well, I, I, I really, I really love writing. Um, I do it p- probably every day except for my true, true vacation and Christmas Day. I, I look forward to figuring it out. Sometimes it's hard. Like I'm writing a short story right now and it's the first draft and I absolutely hurt, hate first drafts because oh. I have to pull this story out of somewhere. I have notes. I'm an outliner, but it's still, this doesn't exist. And now I have to force it out of me, even when I don't feel like it and I want to give up. And I always remind myself that, you know, first drafts are just awful. They're crappy and they're, they're always going to be, at least for me. And it takes me a few drafts to, believe in the story to um, to see that I actually know how to kind to kind of do this, know how to write, <laughs> but it takes me, it takes me a few drafts to, to, to get there. So when you're actually kind of getting the idea for something mm-hmm. that you want to write, is it mm-hmm. like a scene that you see, like kind of a part of the plot or is it a character that comes to you first? Like how do these things kind of come into being for you? It's usually a part of the plot. I either read something or see something that's fascinating and that kind of triggers me, that that worries me. And once I have whatever that is that worries me, um, I then kind of look around to see if anyone's written anything about it. If there's if this is a, a, a true crime, has someone actually done this horrible thing? And then I just probably. Yeah, probably. There's nothing new under the sun, right? <laughs> And then I just start kind of post-noting um, ideas that I have uh, to build out the story some. But it always starts with an idea of, wow, that actually happened? And that's where it starts. Wow, that actually happened. <laughs> and then I'm off. And then when you are sitting down, do you actually know kind of how you want it to end? Or is it a bit of a surprise for you as the story unfolds? where you see like, oh, you know, maybe I thought this was supposed to happen, but 
actually something else. Huh. I start out um, expecting uh, it to end a certain way because, again, I do outline, but then I am open to changes because as you write, as you get to know the people in the setting, things change. Everything shifts once you're actually in that draft. And mm-hmm. I feel good about going off the off the grid, off the outline, because I know if I'm lost, I have that outline again. If I'm lost, I know that it can become another draft. It's never final until it's final. Um, so I, I, yeah, I start out saying, you know, she did it, but then he could have done it. And sometimes that person may have done it, but the reasons why they did it change. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought... I thought it was a, a a spurned lover, but no, they're actually cousins and it's more of a family thing. So it's it's discovery. Discovery as um, I delve into draft after draft, that's when things become more solid. This short story that I'm working on now, I didn't know who um, who this main character was until... Um, I got to the end of a very detailed outline. And then I kind of said it aloud. I'm like, oh, she's not this. She's actually that. And I kept saying it all throughout the day because it's like, ah, it was a a moment of discovery where I didn't even realize that I had been writing towards something, but I hadn't in the outline pinpointed it. My mind just needed to, 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 process it some until it got there and now it clicks and now I know how to write it even though I've started this draft I know that I'm going to go back and make it what I've discovered it's become (laughs) if that makes sense so is it difficult would you say to write something like a crime in the format of a short story because it seems like you know, in a novel, you have kind of the time for things to unfold and play out where a short story, you know, is by just its nature, like less, less time, less pages, less words to make all of that unfold in a way that not only works for you as the writer, but can also engage the reader. Right. No, it is hard. And sometimes I, I, I don't like writing them. But I've written a few, including this one now, because it challenges me to um, learn how to economize and how to get a very complex story in as many as few words as possible. So one one reason I do them, I, I you know, it's a challenge to me. And also, I know it's gonna it's a finite thing. I only have three to five thousand words, so it can't kill me all the way. So I'm well, like, that's true. I'm do that, yeah. And I also use this use short stories as a way of. Um, I have an 18 year old daughter, and I have her sometimes join me on writing adventures like this. And so ah, okay. Is in in a sense, co-writing this story with me. And short stories are perfect for these types of exercises, getting her uh, to learn the structure of story and to think beyond what she knows um yeah it's it's kind of a helping her with a skill that um that'll come in handy for her as she starts college in the fall ah college yes 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 and all of the (laughs) and all of the sort of you know things that they they teach you about writing that are sort of valuable you know in school and then 
like I think less valuable in some ways, like once you're out of school. Right. Yeah. So I'm 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 teaching her about um, making sure the first sentence of whatever she writes is strong um, yes. to keep her audience in mind uh, to think if then you know that kind of and mm-hmm. then what happened and then what happened and to also you know her, the economy of words using strong adjectives and and cutting back on adverbs so very practical things that yeah sometimes they don't teach you that in college but it's no. certainly is something that you need to to be a strong writer so she's looking out she 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 can't come to me for math but she can certainly come to me for 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 writing and for english I think math was invented by a demon. Oh, I I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. If you started a Facebook page saying that, I I I press <laughs> I, and I join. <laughs> Do I hear a canine in the background? Yes, my my old golden retriever. She just got up from her nap. Um, oh. And yes, yes. And we have an old boxer. Oh. So, and a very old kitty cat who will be 17 tomorrow. 17? Oh, I had a 17 yes. year old kitty cat. Yeah. Oh. But we have a dog. We have Lucky, our golden, and two cats, Gus Gus and Major, named after Cinderella's mice. <laughs> ah, yes. Yes, well, yes. They're somewhere stunning and being boys. So yeah. I'm guessing that the cats might not like to know they were named after mice. I know, right? <laughs> Never tell them. No, 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 they won't get that memo. <laughs> no, they, they would not appreciate it, I'm sure. <laughs> so shifting gears a little bit, now that We Lie Here is almost in the world, and by the time this actually airs, will be in the world, um, what can listeners expect next from you? I am next. I am writing um, a story called uh, What Never Happened, and... As is is my uh, my brand. It's a, a book about uh, once more uh, secrets, and not necessarily family secrets this time, but secrets of a community. Um, oh yeah, yeah. A young woman, once again, uh, it's not necessarily her hometown. She's returning to her her family had planned to relocate to uh, Catalina Island, which is off the coast of California, and. Uh, as they were preparing to move in, they were all slaughtered except for our, ah. our and she's going back to take care of an old aunt who remained on the island and to figure out what actually happened um, that led to that slaughter on that night. So a, a story about um, about community, about who belongs and who doesn't belong. Um and I, I I I love it. I I just finished uh, edit. Well, no, I just finished a draft that was uh, sent to my editor last week, and so uh-huh. I'm, I'm enjoying the quiet before she comes back with my editorial letter. So, ah, yeah. yes, and then you'll have to do uh-huh. all the work to. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I I don't mind because at that first draft is out of me. You know. Right. I hate that draft so much. And now, you know, the experts can come in and read and see where my, you know, where where I fell short and help me fix that. 
So do you send like your first draft to an editor or do you draft a couple of times and really, you know, come to a, an understanding of your characters and your story before you send it off? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I second the second one. I do ah. about four or five drafts Whoa. Um, before I send it to my, my agent who does some editing. Um, okay. She sends it back and I fix those edits and then we send it off to to my editor. Um, yeah, I I don't know my people in the first mm-hmm. first and second drafts. I have no idea who they are. So I ne- oh I don't want people to ever read that. I've had to send, <laughs> you know, my my agent sometimes like the first 50 pages to sell a story. And I dread it because I know that they're not going to be the same people, you know, five right. drafts away. And, you know, sometimes my agent's like, they're, they're, they're a little flat. And it's like, yeah, I know. I don't know who these people are. I have no idea who they are, but you needed some, you needed some pages. So here they, here they are in their, yeah, so their here are your pages. Yes. <laughs> these pages may, you know, change over time, but yes, they're they are now. all over, all over everything. <laughs> yeah. These are complete. These are renderings. These are not final. <laughs> So we've talked some about about your writing, and I'd like to move on a bit to talk about what you read, Mm. because I think authors are some of the best like windows into kind of what's out there book wise. And so it's it's always my favorite to ask people what they have read recently that they want the world to know about. Sure. I was on vacation just a few weeks ago and I got to read a bunch of things that, oh, you know, and, and for fun, not, not, you know, for blurbs or anything, but for fun. And, um, one book that stayed with me was, um, Ill Will by Dan Shown, I think, C-H-A-O-N. And that was a great book. I absolutely loved it. Um, it was, it was it's billed as literary crime fiction, but it's crime fiction, um, and I'm sure Dan would would agree. Um, I read that. Uh, I would say I tend to read all over the place. It it just I know I like reading things with crime in it, whether it's billed literary fiction or not. I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But I like um, I like crime and mystery. A lot. Uh, I out of outside of that genre, my I would say I like um, Anthony Doerr's work. He wrote All the Light We Cannot See, and earlier this year I wrote wrote a uh, Red Cuckoo Clock Land. Oh yeah, something Cuckoo Land. Yeah, yeah. And I I I loved that too. The big doorstop river book. Um, you may find I me in struggled with yeah. <laughs> all the light we cannot see. Oh yeah. Um, mostly, I think just because of of representation of, of yeah. disability. Yeah. Um, as a woman, you know, who's grown up blind, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I struggled sometimes with his depiction of yeah. like the the blind girl. There was like this scene where her father is yeah. bathing her, and I'm thinking like, there's no yeah. way in hell like my father yeah. would be bathing me when I'm you know a teenager right um yeah, yeah. and so I, I think that. I yeah could, I could so I think I for that reason um I just I was never 
it, like it, it didn't work as well for me as it did for yeah. others. Yeah. And, and that is, to- that is totally valid. Um, I know for me as a writer, when I hear um, like your, your feedback like that, one, it breaks your heart that you may have hurt someone's feelings by, by that depiction. And then you try and the next time you, you write a story, um, you are very mindful of that. I remember saying something, I was in, in, in college and I said something very glib about um, a place, I can't even remember what the place was, uh, where someone grew up. Oh, and, yeah. and she, you know, it hurt her. And again, again, this is the little prime. I said nothing like traditionally offensive or illegal, mm-hmm. but it hurt her. And she said it hurt her. And I apologize. And it stayed, it, it has stayed with me all this time because, you know, many of us don't meet, don't seek out, um, to rile others, right? No, I mean, um, I would certainly hope yeah, not. I know yeah. some people do, but, but as, yeah, yeah, we don't like those people. No, but, no, we don't. But, you know, we're, as a writer, Sometimes you don't know where the landmines are. You don't know how something's going to land. You don't know until you know. And then when you do know, you say, well, next time I'll take, you know, I'll take this into consideration. Um, I know with um, my publishers now, they do have sensitivity readers. Mm-hmm. And even those readers, they may be sensitive, uh, sensitivity reader in one thing, but that doesn't make them sensitivity readers in other things, you know. So sure. even that is not a it's not a perfect process. But I would say, you know, if I was Anthony Dorr and that was, you know, a, a critique, I would take that, you know, apologize and do better next time, you know. I think it's very, very hard because even within a community like people with disabilities, like no one is a monolith. So Mm -hmm. the fact that I am like upset by the idea of, you know, a father like bathing his blind teenage daughter, um, like that kind of just creeped me out and and made me very uncomfortable. But I also know, um, you know, my partner is also blind and she read the book. And it it didn't you know didn't bother her. Huh. Yeah. See. So I think yeah. it's just all about you know what what works for certain people and and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately all a writer can say, and if if this is if this if they are as honest as possible to, to say I didn't I did the best that I could do at the time when mm-hmm. I when I when I wrote it. And, you know, we're always looking for ways to, to be better. And writing for me has not only has it been therapy for me, like free personal therapy, it is an exercise in getting to know other people and the reasons why they do what they do. Not necessarily, again, we're not necessarily talking about illegal things, but just existing as people, why we think mm-hmm. what we think. And as a writer, a playing that out on the page of of this person is this way and they are go- about to go on this personal journey of discovery of hopefully becoming better by the end of you know 90,000 words um so yeah no it's it's that's what art is you know it's 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 looking at 
your defects as a person, as a those those blind spots you may have, um, and trying to just do better, to be better, to to think about more people. You can't think about everyone because you don't know what those variations are. No, I mean there's but, like no way to do that. Yeah, but but you know there there are small things we we can each do that just makes us better as 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 people there's so much negativity if there's some way that i can cut back on some of that i'll take that i'll 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 take that choice you know well i want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your schedule um, so close to publication (laughs) day we are recording like literally one week before you uh, your book goes you know is actually released out into the world so I really, really appreciate your time. And I'm oh. wondering if you can let listeners know the best place to find you online. Um, you can find me on at my website, www.rachelhousel.com or on Twitter. I love Twitter at Rachel Housel. It's the only social media that I'm, I'm on all the time. I'm all Twitter's like where I get my news, basically. So ah, Twitter, I'm yes. There. Yes, 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 yes. yes. It's a little bit of a scary place these days, but yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> and I have to sometimes just log off for the day, but then yeah. it calls me back because it's like, what is going on in the world? And you know, what was that an actual earthquake I felt here in Los Angeles? You know, is that kind of thing? never know? <laughs> <laughs> no, and thank you for inviting me on. I really um, appreciate getting to talk to you about my my stories and why I write and what I'm trying to do. I, yes. I appreciate it. Well, good luck with publication day. And I will definitely be keeping an eye out um, for your next one, because I am very interested in, in what leads to uh, slaughters in communities. Especially small one like Paradise. Yes. Catalina. Yes. yes. I look forward to sharing that one with you, too. Awesome. Once again, this has been a discussion with author Rachel Housel-Hull about her novel, We Lie Here, and this releases in the U.S. on July 12th. All right, so let's talk about new books. So the first book that I'm going to bring up is one that you've heard me talk about before on our most anticipated releases of August. This is one that I have been looking forward to since the beginning of the year when I heard that it was coming out. Amber and Christine are also looking forward to this one. It is The Lost Girls of Willowbrook by Ellen Marie Wiseman. It is finally here. I am so, so excited. So that is actually the only book that we mentioned previously. So let's move on to some books that we haven't talked about before. I'm going to start with some fantasy. We have Crystal Webb. This is Moonshadow Bay, book seven by Yasmin Galinorn. Um, this is paranormal women's fiction, focusing on January Jackson, a witch in Moonshadow Bay. She has a shapeshifter, a wolf drifter as a partner. Um, And this series, I think, just gets better and better the longer it goes on. And I hope that we have many, many more books to come here. 
This is Crystal Web, Moonshadow Bay, Book 7 by Yasmin Gallinorn. We also have Red Widow. This is Chronicles of Jesse Ames, Book 1 by Luann Bennett. This is urban fantasy and it is about a former FBI agent who is now a private investigator. She has a wolf shifter who is her partner in an unusual way. I'm kind of wondering if it's sort of like a like a Jane Yellow Rock thing where she shares her body with a shifter. I'm, I'm not positive. This is set in Atlanta, and I do want to give it a try. It is Red Widow, Chronicles of Jesse Ames, Book One by Luann Bennett. We then have A Killer's Kiss. This is the sixth book in Helen Harper's Firebrand series. Brooke is a big fan of Helen Harper, and I think of this series in particular. Um, I read the first book in a kind of post-apocalyptic series that Harper wrote, and I enjoyed it, so I definitely want to continue reading that series as well as moving on to other stuff that she's written. I think this series is the one that focuses on a phoenix, and I really like phoenixes so this is one that I will be picking up but I won't be starting with this one because it is book six this is A Killer's Kiss Firebrand book six by Helen Harper we also have Moon Dark Smile this is a standalone fantasy by Tessa Grattan about a princess and a demon who have an unusual relationship and set out on a quest together I'm a little bit concerned for my own personal reading preferences that this may have kind of a love triangle element. Um, if it does, I won't be super happy, but I know that these things are popular. Um, but Tessa Grattan has written a few things that I am looking forward to picking up, um, namely one called Nightshine. But this is her latest, and it is Moon Dark Smile, and again, it's by Tessa Grattan. We also have Belladonna. This is the first book in a series of the same name by Adeline Grace. And this really intrigues me because it is a gothic infused world. So kind of like historical fantasy with gothic elements. We also have betrayal, wealth and desire kind of running through this. So I do want to pick this up. It's Belladonna. Belladonna Book One by Adeline Grace. And we have a new Elizabeth Lim book. This is The Dragon's Promise, Six Crimson Cranes, Book Two. Six Crimson Cranes kind of reminds me of a retelling of, um, oh, The Twelve Swans. Um, Juliette Marillier wrote Daughters of the Forest, Daughter of the Forest, which is another kind of retelling of this. But this one, it kind of looks like an Asian, like Chinese infused version of The Twelve Swans. Um, and this is the continuation of Six Crimson Cranes that came out last year. This is called The Dragon's Promise, and it's Six Crimson Cranes, book two by Elizabeth Lim. So... I'm going to move on to kind of mystery slash thriller slash suspense. And the first thing I want to talk about is how to survive your murder 
by Danielle Valentine. This is a mystery, but it has some like fantastical elements. So our heroine is the sole witness to her sister's murder, and she's supposed to testify in the trial. But before she can do this, she wakes up and somehow is transported back to a time where the murder has not yet occurred. And so now she's in this sort of alternate timeline trying to figure out if she can stop this murder. It is How to Survive Your Murder by Danielle Valentine. We also have a new Alice Feeney book. This is Daisy Darker. I am on hold for this at my public library. It should be coming in very, very soon. Um, Alice Feeney writes these super, super dark and twisty psychological thrillers. She has written three so far. I think this one is her fourth. Um, I loved two of them, enjoyed one of them and am definitely looking forward to this one. This is Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney. And we have Nothing More to Tell by Karen M. McManus, also out this week. You may remember her from One of Us is Lying, which was her debut. Um, and since then, she's written a sequel to that one and a few standalones. This is another standalone. I love how her books are technically young adult thrillers, but they have such phenomenal crossover appeal. So you can you know, read these no matter what your, your view is of, like if you're you know, normally a fan of YA or you're not, I feel like these just cross over so nicely. This is Nothing More to Tell, and it's by Karen M. McManus. We also have Wake by Shelley Burr out this week. This is a novel that's set in the Australian outback. It's compared a little bit to The Dry by Jane Harper. And it is about a small town that is haunted by an unsolved disappearance. Again, it's Wake by Shelley Burr. And then maybe you're looking for something that will give you kind of like a misery feel. We have Number One Fan by Meg Ellison. This is about an author who gets into a car. She's heading to a speaking gig that she has. She accepts a drink from her driver, and when she wakes up, she is chained in a basement. Mm -hmm. This is Number One Fan, and it's by Meg Ellison. Then, we have Murder in Westminster by Vanessa Riley. This looks like a historical mystery with romantic elements. Vanessa Riley is fantastic at everything she does. She writes straight up historical romances featuring characters of color. Um, she has done a couple of epic historical fiction um, this year's was Sister Mother Warrior, which came out in July. So I'm just in awe of not only like what she writes, but the fact that she has written, this is her third book this year. And I am definitely picking this one up. It is Murder at Westminster by Vanessa Riley. And 
If you're looking for something with kind of a romantic bent, um, maybe a little bit more romantic than the Vanessa Riley I just talked about, we have The Lost Ticket by Freya Sampson. She wrote um, The Last Chance Library, I think it's called. It came out last year. I think Amber talked about it when we did our books set in libraries episode. But this one is about a couple who meet on a bus. They are separated because of a lost ticket. And then we kind of see their journey trying to find each other again. And that is The Lost Ticket by Freya Sampson. I also want to talk about Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I am a huge fan of Reid's writing. I loved The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Um, I also enjoyed Malibu Rising, which I think came out in either 2020 or 2021. And then, of course, there's Daisy Jones of the Six. But this is her latest novel about a tennis star. So... If you love kind of that lush lyrical writing that draws you in and doesn't let you go, even if the topic is something you're not interested in, like I'm not a sports person, but it doesn't even matter because I'm very sure that this author will reel me right in um, from like the first chapter. So Carrie Soto is back by Taylor Jenkins Reid is out this week. And lastly, I want to talk about a YA book called The Seton Girls. This is by Charlene Thomas. It's a book dealing with a football team. Again, I'm not a sports person, but I am intrigued by this. The football team is super successful at the school, but it's not because of the players. It is because of a group of girls known as the Seton Girls. And these girls are apparently responsible for the success of this team, only no one really knows why. So I'm wondering if we're going to see like some magical realism here or if it's more of like a, oh, I don't know, like a, maybe a curse. I, I don't know. But this is The Seton Girls by Charlene Thomas. And I definitely will be reading it as soon as I can. And that is all I have for you. August is winding down here. And we have a bunch of new books to, you know, help us wave goodbye to this month. I hope all of you are staying safe and well. And of course, reading all kinds of great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.